1: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 195 of Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday. We're back in our normal time slot, and joining me this evening is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man?
0: What's going on, man? Ready to talk about some baseball and get to, you know, basically rant about Mike Soroka for 45 minutes or so?
1: Uh, Yeah, it worked out. (laughs) A couple people noticed that... uh, we pushed back the starting lineup, uh, the starting rotation review, I should say, a week and that um just I guess coincidentally lined up with uh, the Eric Cole, Mike Soroka love hour, um, which is gonna be good. Yeah, um,
0: it's, it's pretty accurate, you know, and you know, hat tip to Joe Carson for, you know. Hurt my feelings a little bit. For, <laughs> because, I, because, I, <laughs> because I don't I don't love his cow bears enough, but uh come on, Joe. Yeah. No, so just for Joe, yes, Soroka was a cow bears commit. Before he decided to become a Major League Baseball player, because he is, in fact, too good for the Cow Bears. But, you know, at the very least, if he had decided to go to college, he would have, you know, given Joe more reason to love him.
1: But if he had done that, he wouldn't be on the Braves probably. So.
0: Uh, This is fair. This is fair. I'll
1: take it. I'll take what happened. Sorry, Joe. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll get to the, I guess, the meat of this podcast will be a starting rotation review and sort of look ahead. Um, So hold on tight for that. Later in the podcast, and uh, I promise you will get plenty of love from Eric. On honestly, I think Eric is probably the world's leading uh, non-family member expert on Mike Soroka. Uh, that, that, that may not be true. But Ooh, it's uh,
0: so I, I will say that Alexis uh, Britnicki, she uh, writes for uh, Baseball America, and she covers baseball Canada a lot. Like it's 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 a close competition. Like it, it's yeah, rude. I was
1: I should I should I should have qualified with like non-team personnel, and I guess people that just have seen him more than you just by location and whatever else. But you're on the short list, Eric. We we could say that.
0: I I, I am very happy to be on said short list.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, that will wait, and we'll get there in a minute. But Uh, A couple news items to get to. Nothing massive this week, uh, as opposed to last week when we had a lot to cover. This week, not as much. Um, The GM meetings start on Monday. That's not really news, but I want to just put that on people's minds. GM meetings are often quiet, but not always. Things can start happening right about now if agency is happening. And I know it's, you know, November 10th is not scream baseball to me in particular. But um, stuff can start happening around now. So, I mean... (laughs) I'm not really looking, looking for anything this week, but it's the first sort of off-season event happening. Winter, winter meetings are certainly bigger, but GM meetings can sort of prompt some discussions, and it wouldn't be unheard of to have some fireworks start flying in the next couple of days.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of when we see the frameworks for those early trades and early deals start to happen. Um, and, I, I mean, you know, the framework for a Donaldson, you know, potential extension, and, I mean, he's going to decline his qualifying offer. That's just the thing that's going to happen, but you know like we're going to kind of see exactly who's going to be on the market over the next week that's going to be important and it's also going to be important to kind of figure out exactly you know that that initial you know who's talking to who and why um, is going to really kind of frame what this offseason is going to be for just not just for the Braves but for really just kind of the league all around um yeah, I don't envision any deals coming in. I would be very shocked if like a major deal came out of this a lot of the major deals seems like they're waiting later and later But, you know, we've already started to hear some rumors about some players and we might start to hear more like, you know, these are kind of the terms that are being discussed in terms of trades or free agents. And when we'll see, it was very similar to the Donaldson signing last year where like it was after the GM meetings, but it was kind of before the winter meetings. Those moves that, and they do happen, you know, there's a little bit of a flurry of activity in between the two. And that's kind of like the GM meetings is where that starts. Now, again, I don't necessarily think. Anything crazy is going to come out of this, but I do think it's going to kind of maybe have some little leaks here and there, and kind of give us a sense of who's talking to who.
1: Yep, that sounds about right. So I want to put that on the agenda for people in the in their minds in the next couple of days. You might hear some stuff about that. So that's what the GM meetings are going to be happening. And there you go. Um, the only piece of actual you know baseball-driven <laughs> news, and we'll get to the other stuff in a second, um, is Darren Day is going to be back for 2020 and potentially beyond. $2.25 million for Darren O'Day for next season, and a club option for $3.5 million for 2021. That's a long way away. Uh, O'Day missed most of his Braves tenure so far with injury, but finally came back and was actually decent down the stretch. He's uh, 37 years old, so not, not a spring chicken, the right-handed pitcher, but he's been good for a long time. He was basically elite for about a four-year period in Baltimore. Um, not quite that good since then, but um, a guy who could certainly help the bullpen. And uh, for this kind of price tag, um, sign me up. I mean... It could backfire certainly at his age and with the injury stuff that he's had in the recent past. But this kind of um, investment is just fine with me. The money doesn't really matter. And um, he's someone who certainly could be one of the best seven relievers on a baseball team. So, yeah,
0: that's fine. I mean, I think it's really hard for a $2 million deal to realistically backfire. Yeah. You know, like it's in that for that kind of money for a guy that does have his pedigree. That's a no brainer. I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised he wasn't able to get more just in free agency, but I know he's getting older and, you know, he has, you know, ties to Florida and all this other stuff. So it makes a ton of sense why he would be interested in coming back to the Braves. And with his injury history, maybe he just decided that this is where he wanted to be. And, you know, hopefully that he can pitch well enough in 2020 that he can, you know, get the Braves to pick up that option in 2021. And, you know, that, that's kind of, it feels like this might be his last deal, unless he kind of really kind of, you know, turns back the clock a little bit, but again, he was a perfectly serviceable guy. He's really good against righties. I'm not looking for him to be the closer. I'm not looking for no. <laughs> the, guy, the Darren O'Day that I was looking for a few years ago where he was like the premier, one of the premier relievers in the game, and you're talking about giving up real assets to go. I mean, this was a few years ago, you know, Braves friends were wanting the Braves to trade for him, again, when he was one of the better relievers, period. And he's just not that guy anymore. But again, for like a little over $2 million, that's, a, that's, that's an easy decision. And, you know, a a very apt move for a team that has a lot of – whole. we already talked about this. The last time I was on, they have a lot of holes in the bullpen. And bringing a guy like O'Day for that price, that's a, that's a super easy decision, and I'm glad they did it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, two episodes ago, you and I dove into the bullpen a little bit. So if you missed that podcast, go back and listen to it for our full bullpen takes. But, you know, adding some safety, at least some relative safety with O'Day, if he's healthy, he's basically never been bad when healthy. There is the health injury, the health uh, risk and the age risk with O'Day, but still a pretty cheap contract, a guy who can sort of fill a specific role. I think as you as you referenced, he's basically a right-hand only guy. He's not, you know, a disaster against lefties, but, you know, preferably you'd want him to be uh, more of a specialist at this point in time but with the way that you know baseball works right-handers are more prominent than left-handers so that can be a pretty effective thing and uh, O'Day is just fine if he's if he flames out you know 2.25 million dollars is not a ton of money um, even on a payroll that is relatively fixed like the Braves are so yeah this is fine it's the first it's the first actual you know Free agent signing, quote unquote. I know they declined some options and signed some guys last week. They're willing I guess, so technically those were free agent signings. But yeah, they're are um, free agent
0: signings for free agents for about thirty seconds while they're signing the other piece of paper. And yeah, yeah
1: they are basically contingent on on whatever happens. So those were pre pre uh, negotiated. Whereas, you know, this is pretty early for day, so I'm sure the discussions were happening very early in the process. But he was a free agent for a few days anyway. So uh, there you go, Darno Day back. And uh, if that's the biggest news of the week, then it's probably kind of a slow week. But shots at Day. Um, the non, the non-on field, uh, I guess controversy, I use that term in quotation marks right now, um, was Alex Anthopoulos making a little bit of national news with some comments that he made, uh, in a, in a public media availability this week, um, that prompted the, 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 prompted Tony Clark and the MLBPA to push back. I could read the quote to everyone, but essentially Anthopoulos, um, let a little bit out in the fact that um you know I'm gonna, you know what I'll, I'll read it to you it's probably easier this way um and I quote every day you get more information and we've had time to connect with 27 of the clubs obviously the Astros and Nationals being in the World Series they were tied up but we have we had a chance to get a sense of what the other clubs are going to look to do in free agency who might be available in trades end quote so for me anyway that's fairly harmless um and I kind of chuckled at the response. Tony Clark used the word egregious in a statement about Anthopolis. There was basically, you know, in short, there's there's some collusion, worry from the MLBPA, and, and honestly with good reason based on the last couple of, the, of years and the way free agency's gone. So, you know, after a couple of days to sort of sit on this, I, I understand the PA's point of view a little bit more. I think it was kind of absurd, but at the same time, it's probably their job to raise a fuss in that sort of instance. I think it's pretty common knowledge that teams are always talking, which is kind of how I took Anthopolis' comments. And he he's, he's, he sort of did like a, like a, a rough apology after this because he he didn't want to get burned too badly. But, you know, on one hand, I'm very pro players getting more money and I don't want teams to be colluding against them. I think that's kind of happened to some degree in the last couple of years. On the other hand, you know, just the visceral reaction of what are you talking about? Tony Clark did cross my mind. So I kind of see all sides here. Where do you land on this uh, again, quote unquote
0: controversy. All right. I will say first, and I'm like you is that I'm very nearly always on the player's side in terms of, you know, how money should be spent in baseball, you know, like in terms of making sure that spending is is going up with revenues and, you know, like the, in terms of like the the presence of the qualifying offer and all these other things that are very not player friendly right now. Like the, I am very much in the camp of the Players Association should be fighting for their players, and that they did an absolutely terrible job in the last CBA to actually move salaries forward and to actually protect players. And there's other things like you know, like you know, minor league salaries and all other stuff that I feel strong feelings about too. But that's kind of more of a different thing. I think that I, I am, I feel, have a much stronger negative reaction to what Tony Clark did here, and that's because one. There's no way that this is evidence of egregious conduct whatsoever. (laughs) And and, and that that there is – you could find every GM in the last month has said something along those lines or worse. It feels like he decided to take this opportunity because he felt like he had to do something. Now, the problem with doing that… Is that you lose a little bit of legitimacy when you look at this quote and everyone's like, "Wait, what? W- what are? What is he getting all upset about?" Because there are things that he genuinely has real gripes about that he did not use anywhere close to this strong a language with over the last couple of years. It took them forever to like put out that statement, you know, about from you know about what the information from agents and you know like how free agency went last year, and it went so long that they felt like they had to say something. Now that anything even the word free agency comes out of a GM's mouth, and then they have to put this sort of statement out. It feels disingenuous, and when you're trying to win a public relations battle against a against ownerships and against front offices over an issue that's complex, and you know how the systems are geared against players, and you know what what teams feel like they can and can't do in terms of their money and things like that, it's a complex thing that you have to kind of sell. You can't sell this quote to anybody. You can't be like, "Look, this is proof that they did it," because when people looked at this quote. The vast majority – there were a few people who were like, see, this is proof that it is collusion, as though they didn't even read the quote. They just assumed that this is just what happened. You know what I mean? Like they just like, of course that they're sharing information. Those people have already made up their minds against the – against ownership, and I respect that position. But that – this conversation over this quote is not helping MLBPA's cause because right now – they have real gripes with how free agency has gone and what has happened over the course of the last couple of years. This isn't selling that. And it actually makes it harder to sell that when you're trying to draw attention to real things and you instead are getting caught up in these little like word games because he happened to talk about mention that his, he did his job and by talking to a few teams and gleaned some insights as to what they might want to do in free agency.
1: Yeah. uh, I am not disagreeing with you. Honestly, the only you know, I had the same reaction you did uh, first, and again, I've kind of softened on it since then just because I, I do think the MOB, MOBPA has some reason to um, you know, shake the tree whenever possible. I agree with you, though. This is not the greatest situation for them to do that. I think it, it does feel like he just used the first opportunity to do this early in the process of free agency this year, which... I sort of see that. I, I, I understand that point of view. I'm with you, though. This is not probably the best situation in which for the for, for Clark to light the world on fire. Um, in, the, in the end, this isn't going to do anything. You know, the investigation or whatever is going to be happening is going to yield nothing. I mean, he he basically, Ethopolis is doing his job here. Uh, could he have said it a little bit better? Sure. But teams are always talking, um, and unless they're, you know, setting up, you know, Firm things that can be proven. There's nothing that's going to happen here. Um,
0: so yeah, this isn't evidence that they've that Anthopolis is part of a wide-reaching conspiracy to script out the off-season no. as to who's going where. It just isn't, and that's not it's not going to happen. And it, this feels a lot like a guy who is fighting for his job. Like he's just like, no, look, I really am fighting for you guys. Look what I did. And <laughs> point to this thing because I mean the, the the CBA with the how qualifying offers work and you know how the luxury tax is being used right now. Did did not do the players any favors, and he traded that stuff for like really frivolous sort of. Well, now you're now the players have these extra perks while they're on the road and stuff like that. You I mean you? This is a lot of this system that's currently in place is on him, and I think he's hearing it from its from his membership, and he should be because you know these negotiations are going to come up sooner rather than later, and at some point he's gonna. Is this going to be the guy that you really want negotiating against ownership right now? When this is pretty much the strongest thing he's done in his tenure period.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those topics that we probably would not have discussed if it didn't, if it didn't involve the Braves general manager. <laughs> because, I mean, it's interesting to me as a baseball consumer and someone who pays attention to the sport beyond the Braves, but um, the window for us into it is that it's Anthopolis. Um, but yeah, I think we're uh, relatively on the same page here. Um, I'm very pro player, so hopefully they get some uh, concessions in the next CBA and they can figure this whole thing out because free agency has been excruciating the last couple of years, particularly last year. And uh, yeah, hopefully they get that fixed in the near mm-hmm. future. And uh, right. this this probably isn't the way to do it, but alas,
0: <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, just not, just not this ain't this ain't it, Tony. This ain't it.
1: Yep. All right. Well, uh, last bit of news is the Silver Sluggers came out this week. They're not as popular as the Gold Gloves, but they do matter, um, and we see in the discourse. The Braves had three guys win: Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, and Ronald Acuna. We could litigate these um, none of these were egregious in the uh, in favor of Atlanta I do think um, the one that I would have given, out of these three, two a brave was Albies. I thought he had the best overall numbers of anyone that that is actually a primary second baseman. A couple of guys had better numbers than Ozzie, pretty clearly, but they were not full-time second basemen. Cattell uh, Marte only played 83 games at second, and Max Muncie 70 games at second base. Those guys had much better offensive seasons than Albies, but they were not playing second every day, so I totally understand that. Um, the other two were more controversial, we should say. You know, Freddie was very, very good this year, but, um, you know, A lot of people, particularly people outside of Atlanta, thought that he should not have won, and I could could totally see why because of Pete Alonso's performance. Um, Freddie, still top three numbers basically across the board, though, at first base, so no egregiousness there. And then Ronald Acuna um, had an awesome overall season. No one would ever say otherwise. Um, I I think it basically comes down to whether you care about stolen bases because if you went just at the plate, like just hitting, there's not really an argument for Ronald Acuna as a top three outfielder in the National League this season. But if you throw in a stolen bases, then it gets to be closer and gets to be less of, um, you know, less controversial, I should say. So, all that to say, any, any pushback to these? You know, I, I sort of laid out my cases there, but what did you make of these three guys?
0: I mean, look, this is something that we can look at at the numbers and, like, you can make real, I mean, you can make real cases for some other guys. I was a little bit surprised that Marte actually only had 83 games at second base. I was too. I, but
1: honestly, my first my first reaction was, how the heck did he, did he not win? So I went I went looking for a reason why he didn't win, and that that's the only explanation, is that he did not play a full season at any position. That's the only reason why he wouldn't have won, because Marte was like a top five MB, MVP candidate. Like, he was incredible <laughs> this season. He, sh- he would have won if he had played full-time second base. I have to assume that.
0: Yeah, and I, I think he was listed as a finalist as like a, as an outfielder too, so like it wasn't a complete snub. My problem with Silver Sluggers right now in general is that is just this, is that there's guys that are moving around position-wise. Javi Baez is another guy that kind of, you know, like, pops up in, like, you know, consideration for some positions and others when he really he just plays all over the infield. And, you know, it's... And the outfield gets particularly strange because, like, you know, that under this arrangement now, there's never, there's never going to be a center fielder that wins one just simply because the best hitters are never going to be hitting in center field, really. It's just going to be guys in left and right for the most part. So it's kind of... I don't know. I, I don't really give a lot of credence to it. I see arguments for why you should give the, the award to Pete Alonso, and they're, like, there's statistically they bear out. I also understand that you know, like, he wasn't the most consistent hitter. And for those that are voting on this, they might say like, you know, like Freddie Freeman was just really good for basically you know 95% of the year. Unfortunately, the five percent was at the end of the year where you know things kind of went south. I mean, that was a really bad time for him to go south and get hurt. But you know. I, I see an argument for it. It's not one that's necessarily statistically driven, but it's not something that, like maybe like oh, oh wow, that's a terrible pick. You know, what I mean like why did why well he had no business winning that. And Acuna is kind of the same way because again, if you're just going purely you know as a hitter, then yeah, Soto was better. And I kind of I Soto's another guy that I really like as a player, and I'm sure he's going to win his fair share of slow, silver sluggers going forward. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, he, he's not going to get forgotten in the, in the coming years for sure. And I'm sure some of this is like, you know, because of the Nationals' recent World Series run, people are a little bit more sensitive about making sure he gets the recognition that he needs. I'm sure he's fine looking at his World Series ring right now. You know, they're just very different players. In terms of pure pure hitting ability, so does a better player. But in terms of like all-around offensive game, I'd probably pick Acuna just because he makes such a difference with the speed on the base bats. And if you don't take that into account with a Silver Slugger award, like what are we going to – When are are you going to acknowledge that as a part of someone's game? So, you know, it's close, and I I wouldn't have been upset if Acuna didn't get it, but I'm not really upset that he did either because it was close enough between those two guys. Now, if Yelich or Bellinger didn't get it, then that would have been an entirely different problem, especially Yelich, who was incredibly good. He just got hurt, and you know, if he hadn't gotten one, then I, I I would have been more upset than if Acuna or Soto didn't get it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with all of that, honestly. Yelich Bellinger were absolute slam dunks. Um, the fangraph's overall offensive metric, which does take into account um, the base pass, makes it a lot closer between Soto and Acuna. is still fourth, but it's, it is close. Um... Played only, like 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 we both just said, Soto was better, but I, I have no issue with this, as long as, um, and Silver Slugger, the criteria is kind of funny, I, I went and looked it up because I wasn't sure, they don't really lay out how much speed, if speed is a part of it, but clearly that was part of it in the evaluation here, so I'm okay with that, and uh, Ronald is awesome, so no shade there, and same with Freddy, I mean, Freddy was very, very good this season, um, would I objectively have picked him no, but Freddie was awesome, so it wasn't like there was a massive gap between him and Alonzo and um, also Anthony Rosa was up there too. But you know, Freddie Freeman's been. I, I think when it's close, people tend to lean on track record as well, and Freddie's been awesome for almost a decade now. So, um, if there's a tie goes to the uh, goes to the runner situation here, Freddie gets the uh, the the length um, of his durability and his fantastic play for several seasons as well as a tiebreaker. So, that's fine. No worries, uh, and and no snubs by the way. I mean, Donaldson was really good this year, but he would have been the only guy that had a chance, and he really didn't like have a chance in my opinion. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, Anthony Anthony Rendon was just better, and that's totally fine. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, uh, last thing with um, in, in fact, in, in regards to Donaldson, um, nothing firmly newsy here, but there's been some noise about Donaldson to the Rangers as a as a as a particularly interested party. Um, of course, the qualifying offer thing is going to be out there. He's not going to take it, etc. Um, but Texas is a weird fit in some ways because Texas has not been that good for a long time now. And you would imagine Donaldson is going to want to win. Um, but if they come out and overpay, then they come out and overpay. And that's, that's the big fear. If you want Donaldson back, if you're a Braves fan, um, Clearly, the big fear would be somebody coming in and overpaying him. Um, I know a, a, some of the uh, Talking Chop comments push back on Scott and I saying that Donaldson was the priority um, last podcast. Um, I think we did caveat it quite a bit, but I'll say it again now. like There certainly is a breaking point where I would not be paying Donaldson. There's definitely a spot where, at his age, I would not just give him whatever he wanted. Um, and that kind of goes in concert with this now with the Rangers or any other team. But if the Rangers come in and offer him you know, four for 120, you probably can't do that. So um, what do you make of... Interest from other teams. It, it was always going to happen unless he just signed quickly with the Braves, which wasn't necessarily likely at any point in time. But what do you make of Donaldson and maybe going to Texas or somewhere else?
0: I think that if he isn't going to end up as in Atlanta, that Texas is the most likely option, and there's a couple reasons. One is that the Rangers are motivated to get like to have some like a marquee name and to put in a competitive product on the field because they have a new ballpark opening up. And like for some teams, that doesn't really matter. Like you know, if they're in the middle of a rebuild, they're like, look, you know, we have this new stadium, you know, and in a few years there'll be a good team playing in it too. But you know, hat tip to the Atlanta Braves, by the way, which is pretty much exactly what happened. You know, <laughs> like we, we they that we didn't have they, they had opened you know SunTrust Park, and it took a couple <laughs> years to even have a team that was even remotely decent. Definitely
1: a side by side comparison worth making there with those two.
0: Yeah, but Texas has a history of you know wanting to throw money at guys to kind of get attention towards them, and they. Probably feel like they need to get somebody over there that will be a name that is, has some name recognition and will make the team significantly better, and Donaldson would do that. The other thing that's going on with Donaldson is that the money makes – it seems more likely to me that even with a qualifying offer attached, that Texas can make a competitive offer even if they factor into the fact that they have to give a first-round pick into his cost because they don't have the income tax. So if that's the case, then, you know, if the Braves and the Rangers made comparable or even the Rangers were a little bit less in terms of the overall value of the contract, Texas's offer would be better financially because that he wouldn't have to pay taxes on it in terms of income anyway. And if that's the case and if he's really kind of looking to maximize like his dollars for those like the, the last few years of his, you know, of his career, ultimately, he's not going to be around forever, you know. It's a team that it's a team that could end up stealing the stealing away. Now it's a little bit tougher for like you know the Dodgers or the Yankees or you know a team a team like that to do it because in addition to giving up a first round pick they would also have to give up real money for him But a team like Texas or even you know I mean the teams in Florida aren't going to do this because the Rays don't spend money period regardless of whether or not they want to give it, it ends up going to the government or not. And the Marlins are terrible, but you know the, you know the Astros the Astros and the Rangers are two teams in particular that are capable of throwing comparable money to other teams. But the agents are going to be like, look, this is actually significantly worth more to you in the long run because of the fact that, they, you know, you're not getting taxed on it in the same way. So if there's a team that could, that could steal them away, I think it would be the Rangers. I still think they'll end up working something out with the Braves because I think the Braves are motivated to keep them around. And they frankly don't, They if they don't sign him, then all of a sudden this, offseason can get really messy in a hurry but you know the rangers can make a really competitive offer and that's like that's that's a real danger is that if they decide they really want him and they make something comparable to the braves that donaldson just might take it
1: yeah i do think that if and this is a big if um if there were comparable offers like you said with the way that he is discussed Um, his free agency and his prioritizing of winning, I I do think that he would stay in Atlanta if it was comparable. Um, I understand the financial aspect, but if it's close, I think he would probably lean to the Braves. That does assume, though, that the Braves make a big offer (laughs) and that nobody beats it significantly, which are two big ifs to be sure. Um, And, you know, Donaldson's going to be 34 years old. It's not a situation where I am Donaldson or bust by any means. I just think if you are going to tell me there's one you know, twenty plus million dollar a year signing that the Braves make. I think he is by far the most likely of those players. Yeah, of yeah, hot take, but it's just if they're going to sign someone the big money, I think it, he is most likely. Is it is it definitely going to happen? Certainly not. But you know, you need a, you need a bat. Third third base is a priority, and the other guy who's available that's a at that kind of level or higher is Rendon, who is going to cost you know just a ridiculous amount of money. So, um, yeah, if it's,
0: it's not Den Donaldson, then you're looking at. Mike Mustakas is like which is next. a
1: different level yeah I mean he's yeah, like, the guy like we've liked too, on this yeah. podcast like we've been pro Moustakis I've been pro Moustakis but that's more of like a 12 million dollar player than a 25 million dollar player So, which is fine I mean and maybe that's what you do maybe they do shift around and pay a, pay a starter and we're gonna get to starters in a second but maybe they do that maybe they spend big on a starter and then sign Mustakas. I'm okay with that or maybe they want to sign Grandall, like whatever they want to do here if it's going to be a 20 plus million dollar guy, I think it's going to be Donaldson. Um run it, the runner up on that would be Grandal, and I don't think he's going to get 20 million 20 million annually. So yeah. There you go. We'll, we'll talk more about um the lineup next week I think is the plan for our lineup review podcast, but um Eric, unless you have more on our news items we can get to the starting pitching uh, review.
0: Uh no, I'm I'm ready to talk some starting pitching. I'm I'm, I'm ready for it.
1: Heck of a tease there, uh, Mike Soroka talk on the way. But uh, before we get to that, here's a quick break from our sponsors. All right, Eric, uh, it's starting pitching time. Interesting group, to be sure. And there's some probably going to be some over uh, some overturn here, with uh, yeah, with with, <laughs> with many months to come. But at the moment, there are three guys returning that we could talk about. But um, big picture in terms of the overall performance of the team last year, these are the Major League Baseball ranks from the pitching staff, starting, starting pitchers only last season. They were 12th in ERA, they were 12th in Fangraph's War, they were 10th in FIP, they were 21st in strikeouts per nine, they were tied for 19th in walks per nine, they were 12th in innings pitch. So basically, you know, average-ish in terms of uh, across the board, maybe a little bit slightly above average, um, but not a, not, not a stellar group, not a bad group overall. In the National League, same sort of story. They were 7th in ERA, 6th in War, 6th in FIP, 11th in strike number 9, 10th uh, in walks per 9, and 8th in any pitched. So basically, all that to say, this is a pretty ordinary rotation, with a couple of individual exceptions, of course. But And it's worth noting that once Dallas Keuchel joined the rotation on June 21st, the Braves were a top 10 team in baseball and ERA, and they were 11th in War. So slightly better, but not overwhelmingly better than they were on the full spectrum. Last thing in terms of just the overall spectacle that we'll start drilling down here. Um, there were six guys who threw 80-plus innings as a starter last season for the Braves, and no one else got, got, got even to 20 innings. So it was basically a six-man group that really pitched big-time innings for this team last season. Only two of them, though, qualify for the ERA title. So there was some management there. Of course, Kaiko came in late, um, but only two guys qualify for the ERA title. This is not like your typical workhorse rotation either. So... I threw a lot of numbers out there, Eric, to say this is a slightly above average rotation last year, and that was good enough to win 97 games, but that's kind of the reality is that, you know, there was one star-level player last year with Soroka, a couple of solid pieces, but nothing else that was, like, overly overly spectacular.
0: Yeah, and some of that was evened out, too, by the fact that the, the Braves had relatively significant innings pitched by guys like Sean Newcomb, Kevin Gaussman. I mean, these are guys who got starts and that were— Ooh, Kevin Gaussman. Yeah, yeah, the, the Kevin Gaussman experience— uh, as a starter, was rough, and it's it's a tough thing to peg because you know it's not like they had a, a rotation of a bunch of okayish guys. They had guys that were just really up and down, with the exception of Soroka. I mean, Max Free at times looked amazing, and sometimes he just didn't look good at all, you know, and was prone to home runs. And you know, the Julio Tehran experience was was better than it usually is. Uh, I, I will say that, and he was probably you know the guy that you'd feel the most. The, the, you at least know what you're going to get out of him, um, for better or for worse. Uh, but now he's not on the team anymore. the The thing that I'm looking for ultimately is this rotation. I do feel like is going to live or die by whether which Fulte comes back next year. Is if you know if he's the guy that like couldn't hold on to a job in the major leagues until late in the season, then that's a real problem because the, the, the Braves aren't going to go get Garrett Cole. Uh, as much as I'd love to have him in the, you know, on the team, and how much better he would make the team, the Braves just aren't going to be able to afford him. He's just he's going to get his pick of, you know, 30 plus million dollar a year deals for like, you know, seven years or something like that, or if not more than that. And if that's the case, then you have to look at maybe a Zach Wheeler type, where even he got a qualifying offer attached. So is that the Braves a guy that the Braves really want to try to reach out and try to go after? It's it's a tough group to peg, just because, again, I have a lot of confidence that Mike's Rocco is going to be good. But after that, there's just a lot of question marks that even if you add a guy or two, you're not guaranteed a thing, like not, not a thing at all. There's not like you feel good about what's settled in the rotation, even if you go out and get a guy or two.
1: No, I mean, there are basically, you know, three returning guys from the rotation that are locks to be there, you know barring trade or injury, it's Soroka, it's Fulton-Navich, and it's Max Freed. You know, you reference Freed. Freed was electric at times, but still ended the season with a 4.15 ERA. Like, his peripherals were better than that, but um, a lot of people just care about ERA, and it was north of 4. Like, he wasn't bad. He was worth almost three wins and was the second-best pitcher on the team in terms of total cumulative value last year. But Freed is not always super consistent. I think he's someone who certainly is a good pitcher, and he'll be there next year barring something crazy. But um, – you know, you have that and you have Soroka, who we'll talk about in a second. And then Fulty, you know, hot and cold last year was obviously really good late, um, but end of the season with a 4.5 ERA, 4.97 FIP, and was, um, th- yes yeah, sixth on the team in Fangraph's War. How about this? Kevin Gosman had more Frank- Fangraph's War than Mike, Mike Fulton Davis did last year.
0: How about well, that? I mean, I mean, well, the, the peripherals for Gosman, he, yeah, like, it, you know, it, it, was, it was controversial him. to be sure, but yeah. 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 Uh, that's one of the ones where the peripherals don't really match the I test. I mean like, yeah, sure. <laughs> he, he had, he had, he had bad luck on balls and player, right. But that's going to happen when you get hit hard every time. Like it's just kind of one of those things where I'm just kind of like,
1: he broke the formula. I will say, uh, last year with Gosman, but, and I don't agree with that. I think Fulty obviously was more valuable overall, but kind of funny. Because,
0: and, I, and I do think Fulte was hurt for like the vast majority of the
1: year. Yeah. And that, that explains part of it. I mean, at the very least it explains some of it. Um, and then, but you you know, Julio may come back. Still, the the doors open there. He's gonna, but he's now a free agent. Um, you know, his numbers were interesting last year. He tied exactly with Soroka for innings pitched in terms of the team lead. But he you know the walks were a problem. And um, in fact, of the uh, pitchers that qualify for the ERA title, sixty one guys in the National League, um, he was sixth worst in in Fangraphs War. Now the ERA was much better than that. His ERA was sub four. So if that's your final answer, and I guess that's. A, all that matters, quote unquote, um, you would buy that a little bit more, but yeah, definitely, uh, worth pointing out that three guys basically return that we know are going to be in the rotation. That means that there are two open spots. Um, let's talk about Soroka for a second before we get into the actual holes. That are yes. gonna be coming up. Let's spend yes. some positive time on Mike Soroka. So I'm going to leave the floor to you in a second, but just to set the stage here, um, first full season, essentially, uh, 29 starts ERA of 2.68. He's going to be top three in rookie of the year. Um, you know, probably top 10 in Cy Young, I would imagine, something like that. Um,
0: yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to project beyond that just because the voters get really weird at that point. Because yeah. he's, he's not since he's not like a, a frontline candidate, like, you know, like how many votes he actually gets, it gets really geographic. He'll get some fifths,
1: I'm sure. Uh, he'll be in the mix somewhere. But anyway. All that to say, he was uh, he was exceptionally good. And I'll speak for myself right now. Maybe you thought maybe you thought this was going to happen. He was better than I thought he was going to be for a full season. I think that's not controversial to say. Uh, you are certainly as high as anyone could be on him. But for myself only, he was even better than I thought he was going to be. And uh, you talked me into him long ago. So I was already buying in, and he was even better. Uh,
0: look, he, he was amazing as a rookie. I think everyone can be excused for having a little bit of trepidation, simply because you're talking about a guy who had a shoulder injury last year. And coming out of spring training, had a shoulder thing come up again too. Now both of them were muscular things. It's not like you know, like the the stuff that requires surgery and it's like structural problems. They're not the same type of things, but I completely understand why folks would want to pump the brakes a bit on a guy like him when you're talking about a guy who had shoulder injuries because pitchers and shoulder injuries, the, the history is just not good on the on that end. It's not like Tommy John. It's not like other injuries where you could, like the a large Portion of the time when there's a, a shoulder issue with a pitcher, it's kind of scary. Like you know, all of a sudden they can just uh, careers can be completely derailed by it. So in terms of guy who had limited playing time, I understand not wanting to like jump all in. Uh, I still thought so. I mean, again, being more privy to more information and kind of understanding exactly what was wrong and all that stuff, I still felt really good about it. I thought he was going to be a contender for the National League Rookie of the Year. Um, obviously, he was. Uh, He's not going to win. Pete Alonso kind of came out of nowhere and he's going to win that award handily. Uh, I think that Fernando Tatis Jr. would have beaten Alonso if he had played out a full year, but unfortunately he kept getting hurt. So, you know, those are guys that are like are deserving of the recognition that they've gotten. But I'm I'm glad that Soroka got the chance to shine because I think that if he's healthy, he's one of the best young pitchers in baseball, period. Um, you know, he's a guy that just, he doesn't walk guys, he doesn't give up home runs. And, you know, at times he'll just be, he'll look like, you know, I don't know if he'll ever, ever be like a top 10 pitcher in baseball, just because that's such a hard thing to get to on a regular basis, especially when he doesn't strike out as many guys as a lot of those pitchers do. But I think he can get relatively close. And I think he's also gonna be a guy that's gonna give you a lot of innings. I think the Braves did a good job with kind of managing his load and not necessarily having him throw too much this year as he's kind of building back up from missing so much time last year. He was he was amazing. And, you know, he's a guy that you can feel really good about going forward uh, and is a guy that's going to like, you know, year in and year out and is going to really take care of himself, work really hard to make sure that he's in great shape and trying to get better each year too. So, you know, what, what else is there to say? I thought he was going to be, I thought he was going to be really good. I thought he had a chance to potentially win the rookie of the year but again he had some tough competition that we knew about in fortino tatis jr and then and then pete Alonso kind of came out of nowhere you know and hit 50 bombs and you know end up winning the title and is going to win i i would be shocked if anything else happened but you know yeah. it's you know it's he he's incredibly good the braves are very lucky to have him and you know that that, that, that he's he is a definitely a bright spot in a rotation that ultimately has a lot of questions beyond that
1: for sure i mean soroka pitched the majority of this season at 21. Uh, next year he'll pitch the majority of the season at 22 he doesn't turn 23 until august um so he's like jarringly young still and he pitches like someone who's far older than that of course but i mean the only question i have eric and this is one i know that might be hard for you to answer um and it's sort of an abstract question in some ways are you comfortable with mike Soroka as like the unquestioned number one starter moving forward I guess that's the actual question that people have because you know if you look at his you know the peripheral stuff that you that we've talked about a little bit a second ago, just the lack of strikeouts, etc. Is he a true you know dominant ace looking ahead, or is he just someone who currently is the number one pitcher on the staff? But ideally, you might want to have somebody as good or better than he is. I think
0: he's a front line guy, and the, I distinguish a front line guy from an ace. I think that there's probably only like ten guys that are true aces in major league baseball right I love, now. I, I love the ace discussion.
1: Carlos loved that. Sh- shouts to Carlos yeah, yeah. who hates it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Car- yeah, Carlos really hates it. <laughs> it be because cuz people are like, you know, he could be this guy could be an ace and I'm like the, the the I think it's possible that Soroka gets there because yeah, I think that for someone to get to that level you just have to have something really going for you. And whether it be like a particular pitch that just guys just they know it's coming and they just still can't hit it and there's guys that have been throughout history that have had that pitch He's not that guy, but I do think that his like mental aptitude and his command is so good that he might have that sort of thing going for him that could at the very least put it he could put up an ace he could put up ace, ace type seasons whether or not that he's that way throughout his whole season his whole career or anything like that that's so hard to predict I mean like there's so many talented guys that have just not gotten there and they've had yeah you know, been really special whether they throw 98. Or they have an unhittable breaking ball, or they have like a crazy changeup, or whatever. You know, like you know, they have six pitches. Like you know, in, in the case of Scherzer, he turned into one later, but you know, he had so many pitches, and you know, eventually got there as an as an ace. But I think from his time up until like the last year or so, with he was with the Tigers, no one was going to project him as an ace until you know he ended up kind of getting there eventually. It's you know, it's such a hard thing to get to that level, but I would have no problems him being the best pitcher on the team. But I would have problems if that designation meant that his That they would uh, plan a court, like they plan as him being an ace, and then they fill out the roster accordingly. I think that they still need to have a lot of consistency throughout that rotation. And I think that's a problem with roster construction in general is that, well, we have our ace, so we just need to have some guys. And I don't think that's the case. I think you have to have some real value behind him.
1: Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with that. I just want to at least frame the discussion in some different way just because of the fact that, you know, we kind of know how good he was, but there is at least some question uh as to how good he is like he's obviously very very good but there is a level that you that you get to where you know you're kind of unquestioned like that that scherzer prime kershaw tier that i don't really see him getting to and by the way there's there's nothing wrong with that (laughs)
0: those guys are uh, ridiculous that is is so hard to get to like that's that's my thing and but i do think that it's important The, the way you frame it i think is right just because just because you have Sirocco it doesn't mean that all you need to do is add another, another number five starter to your rotation. You know what I mean? Like, I think you'd, he's not so good that you can, like, run him out there three times in a, in a postseason series and, like, be ga- guaranteed a postseason win or anything like that. I think that you need to still have, you need to really, you need that. just because you have a guy like him doesn't mean you don't need to invest in your rotation. I guess is the best way I know how to say it.
1: Yep. I uh, totally agree. Okay. Now, uh, Unless you have more to say on the guys who we just discussed briefly, we do have to talk about the guys who, who we've not that we've not talked about just yet. So there are three free agents that we that the Braves are going to be losing um, at least for now. Obviously, they could resign them um, that were starters or at least starting caliber pitchers from last season. That's Dallas Keuchel, that's Julio Tehran, and Josh Tomlin, who was a pure reliever but has been a starter in the past. Um, and then you have. Mike Fultonavich going into arbitration. The projected number there from MLB Trade Rumors is $7.5 million. I have no idea how accurate that is, but they're usually pretty decent at this stuff, so projecting him at that number is probably reasonably safe. Um, That leaves you with, again, as we said before, the three locks, Soroka, Fultonavich, and Freed. There was a report from from Mark Bowman a couple weeks ago that we discussed on this podcast about Sean Newcomb getting a a chance to start again in the spring. The Braves want to let him do that. so that's an option he's the only other guy on the roster right now that's been a established major league starter for a while so he is an option and then you have the young guys who you know better than me for sure but um i'm gonna name i'm gonna name three or four guys and you can tell me if these guys have any chance or if there's anybody else so kyle wright bryce wilson ian anderson and I, I, have, I have a question mark next to Tuki Toussaint because I can't imagine him starting next year early on based on how bad he was this year. But he'd be the only other guy that's been someone in the mix. A, are any of those guys possible for 2019 opening day rotation? And B, is there anybody else that I am missing that has a
0: chance in your mind? So Tuki does not. I, I just do not think he he, he was – I think he's had a lot of trouble adjusting to the new baseball and the fact that his command has been so, it comes and it goes so much. I think that if he is going to stick in the major leagues as of right now, that he's going to be in the bullpen. Now, I sincerely hope not because if he turns into the guy that his talent level can reach, I mean, that's a guy that's another guy that can be a frontline starter just because of the the sheer level of his stuff. But his command of the strike zone and his ability to actually throw strikes and you know not give up you know get hit hard when he has to like slow things down a little bit to actually command his pitches. I I hope I am wrong about him, but I think that his best bet right now is in the bullpen. Um I think Kyle Wright and, and Bryce Wilson both have very reasonable chances. Bryce Wilson he I wish he had a like a third pitch that made him more viable particularly against le- uh, against lefties where he could, you know, y- you feel a little bit better about the repertoire, but the fastball is really good and he's a guy that, you know, has he can he can be one of those durable kind of like middle of the rotation types, and I think he might be the most likely to start opening day. Um, Kyle Wright is an interesting case because you know he has like the hard breaking ball that at times is unhittable. He can throw fast. He, he he has a fastball that you know at times has real life to it. You know he has the pitches that you really want to see from a really like strong starting pitching prospect. My problem with him is just that if it's. It's almost like clockwork, particularly in the major leagues, but it, this happened in the minor leagues too, is that once he got through a lineup once is when you did, when you got to see whether or not he was going to have a good day or a bad day. Because he was almost always good those first three innings. But then he'd start to nibble or he'd lose command of one of his pitches or he'd, he changes his approach the second time through a lineup and it's to his detriment. And I think that if he just stays aggressive and is attacking with the stuff that he has, I think he'd be fine. But he's not done that as a professional. He just has never done it. And I don't know if that means if he ends up being in the bullpen or not or if, that, like, if that's like a long-term problem or if it's one that he's just kind of having to learn to be a professional. I lean towards the latter. that He's just still kind of learning what he needs to do or not do um, and kind of alter game calling, uh, you know, working with his catchers, working with the pitching staff and pitching coaches and stuff as to figure out exactly what he wants to do past that first time through uh, through a lineup. I think it's. I think the Braves still really like him, and he was, you know, considered to be a number one potential number one pick for a reason. I'm just a little bit skeptical that he is a guy that you want to run out there on Opening Day, if for no other reason that he made the rotation out of spring training this year, past year, and that didn't go particularly well, and they didn't really seem to show any confidence in him at all in trying to get him back up, even when there were times when the Braves really needed starting pitching. So I'm a little bit more skeptical about him. Uh, Ian Anderson is a more interesting case simply because he has such limited time in Triple A and i'm becoming a very strong proponent of you really can't evaluate how good a pitching prospect is going to be until they have significant time at triple a and that's simply because the the physical differences and the physical properties of the ball that is between the ones being used in the minor leagues, lower levels like double a and below. And the one that's being used in triple a in the major leagues, because the ball just flies differently. The ball just moves. It's not just how it comes off a off the baseball bat that's changed. It's that uh, the path of the pitches and kind of how much spin you get and why, you know, and Ian Anderson's an interesting case because I really like the stuff, but you know, he's not a guy that really has the spin rate you would expect. And, You know, he throws hard and, you know, he has a little bit of trouble with commanding his pitches. That combined with the new baseball, I actually really don't know what to think of him, which makes me think more that he starts the year at AAA, you know, gets some more time using the ball and kind of seeing what he's going to be able to do and what he's going to need to do to get guys out. Because I think he'll be a guy that always strikes out a fair number of guys. But whether or not the walks and, you know, the hard contact, you know, creeps up as in the upper levels of the Myers is going to determine what his timeline is. And I don't think that timeline is opening day 2020, even though I would like to be wrong. And I hope that he at least gets a chance to compete for it in spring training. Just to kind of see what he looks like.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea. I, I always defer to you on the guys who I've not seen a ton of, I've seen all these guys a little bit, but you are far more immersed in the young guy world <laughs> than I am. Yeah. Um,
0: um, but as for other guys, I mean, I, Kyle Muller got hurt at the end of the year. I don't think he's gonna have a chance of coming back. Tucker Davidson's kind of an interesting case. But I, I feel like he's has a little bit of a lower ceiling and with like, you know, options and 40 man considerations and things like that. I don't think you necessarily make a move for a guy like that uh, to, to put him in the rotation unless he's just, you know, just like knocks your socks off. So, you know, once you get past those guys, you know, you have guys that are further away and all that. So the, the names that you mentioned are probably the most likely. Um, and then, you know, maybe later on in 2020, we, you know, see guys like Tucker or Mueller become more likely or become factors into that conversation.
1: So, you know, at the end of the day here, it's still very, very early when it comes to projecting the rotation. Yep. We, we know three guys, uh, barring trade. Um, I'm expecting, this is just me talking. I'm expecting them to sign or trade for an established starting pitcher. That's not really a hot take, but I think everyone expects that, but I, you know, I can't imagine them going with, with, with these three guys, Sean Newcomb and one of the young guys that would be genuinely stunning to me. Um, I don't know. Trying to figure out who that is is a, is a big-time question. I guess if it was you, Eric, I know it's it's impossible to tell this right now, but are you comfortable going with any of the young guys opening day? Like, that's really a question that has to be answered because it helps to have multiple arms, but is this a, it could be a situation where they just absolutely have to have two more guys. Um acquired from outside the organization or is it or is it a spot where maybe they could get by with one acquisition and either Sean Newcomb or one of the young guys?
0: I would be perfectly fine with a rotation that included one of Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson's because they have time in the major leagues and, you know, again, you kind of I don't think you want uh, we, we talked a little bit about this already, but I don't I don't think you want to do it with two young guys. I just don't think you do. That's a lot uh, and especially when the the guys you'd be doing it with, with, like if it's Wright and Wilson, like that's a, that's a there's a lot of question marks there, and I don't think Anderson's ready yet. As much as I like him, um, I just I just don't think he's ready yet. And if that's the case, you know you you really don't want like, to like do a team that has real playoff aspirations. You don't necessarily want to throw a couple guys in there who have like real question marks. Uh, you maybe get you want to develop one of your guys, see how he does, and then kind of watch the other guys at AAA and maybe maybe if they force you to make a decision, so be it. Um, but two. Two, I don't see happening, and I, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. So my guess is Bryce Wilson uh, with Kyle Wright as a possibility as well, just because again the stuff's so good, uh, and he already has you know time in the majors. But you know not, nothing's a given with either of those two guys. So you know I would kind of hope that they would go out and get somebody to at the very least fill, fill one of those spots.
1: Yep, yeah, that sounds like we are on the same page, wholeheartedly. Uh, speaking of the acquisitions, I don't want to spend a ton of time on. Free agent possibilities, you know, the big two are Garrett Cole, and Steven Strasburg, neither of which are likely in any way to come to Atlanta. Um, after that, though, there's sort of an interesting group. Uh, the guy who has been linked to the Braves now officially, uh, from a, from a report by the M- by NBC M- 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 Bay Area, is Masahiro Mung- Bungarner. We talked about him a ton um, back to the deadline last year. Um, there was a report that that report from NBC Bay Area said that he had that he was quote a priority end quote for the Braves. I don't know how, what that means, um, but Bumgarner does check a lot of the boxes. You know, safer guy, a little bit older, may not have a massive price tag, um, and certainly would fit the uh, culture for the Braves. They certainly <laughs> there's been enough buzz where I think they do like him. I uh, I don't love that idea, but for the right price, it's fine. Um, after that, you have uh, Ryu, who's a little bit older. You have Zach Wheeler, who you said earlier is a little bit younger, but he's going to have he'll be in he'll be in demand, I'm sure. Um, Jayco de is out there. He's, he was actually quite good this year. Cole Hamels has been solid for a long time, certainly older guy. And then you still have Keiko and Tehran as well, who are incumbent, even though they're not going to be uh, sort of tied to the Braves in any traditional way like they would be in other sports. So anybody pop to you off that list and or, or I guess or elsewhere, because there are plenty more. And obviously, there are trade candidates, too, that we just don't know yet. But there are there are enough pitchers where the Braves should be able to get one of them, I would imagine
0: so i'll I'll start with the guys who were in the rotation. I think that there's zero chance that Dallas Keiko comes back. He was already miffed enough that he wasn't you know that he had to sign the way the way he did, and he still required basically over the course of a season it was like basically the same value as a twenty million dollar a year deal and I just don't think he's worth that and I don't think he's good enough to get to command that and I think he's going to want a decent amount of money that I just don't think he's necessarily worth given his age and giving his production. Uh, Tehran's interesting just because I think it's possible that he signs back for less than what the qualifying offer is. And it would be less than his option, obviously because the Braves didn't want to pay him that either. So, but I think that once you get less than what his option would have been this year, you're going to have some other teams that are going to be interested. And that comes down to how upset that Julio is, is that he, you know, had his option declined and whether or not he feels like he needs to move on elsewhere. You know, this is the only organization that he's known. And maybe he wants to come back, and the Braves could think they might be able to get him back for less. And so be it. Um, but you know, it's I, I certainly don't think he. It's a given that he's going to even be available when they decide when they like if they fail on all other fronts, and then they turn around to Julio. He might not be on the market anymore. Um, I'm not interested in Madison Bumgarner if for no other reason that like there's like a, more than a couple people who have projected him to get five, five years and a nine figure contract. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Oh, I'm, when has, I'm out on that. That's, yeah, that's, too yeah, I, mean, much. Like, I mean, like, like I have seen that figure and I'm like, are we serious? Like that he's wanting, you know, 20 plus million dollars a year. You know, I, I thought that he had a reasonable chance to sign his qualifying offer. And then he would go into next off season as a guy that would, you know, be able to command some, some, some very decent money, but not that kind of money because he's an older guy. He's, he has diminished stuff and, you know, if you're wanting four or five years or anything like that, that that that, that becomes much trickier for me, and especially when you have a, a, a draft pick compensation attached to it. Um, beyond that, I mean, Ryu, I think, it just seems very likely he's just going to end up staying with the Dodgers in some form or fashion, just because I, I think that, you know... Uh, guys who come out of you know Korea and Japan in general, they like to stay on West Coast teams just because you know for their fan bases it makes a lot of sense and for their families and all that other stuff. So and all those are like very real things. I, mean, I think it's possible that Ryu goes to a team that's not on the West Coast um, and, and that he does leave the Dodgers, but I also think it's reasonably possible he just ends up going back to them uh, on a deal that you know is probably going to be fairly expensive because he did have a pretty good year last year. Uh, Wheeler, I think, is the guy that makes. The most sense amongst the others, to me, because Odorizzi Odo is a guy that I don't think the, ma- the the production matches up with a guy that should have been offered a, a qualifying offer in the first place. But I also know that the you know, you know, some teams just really want to make sure that they can either lock up their guys or get draft pick com- compensation. And you know, in Odorizzi's case, that's what happened. But in Wheeler's case, you know, you really can kind of project that maybe you might be able to get some real value out of him, even if it's pay overpay pay a little bit in terms of a draft pick plus the contract Hamels. I mean, sure. Like, you know, he, it depends on what the price is for him. And I think that for the prices, I would be interested in him at, that a lot of teams will be interested in just because he has, you know, a, a lengthy track record of being a good to really good pitcher. But you know, it, Th- this starting pitching market does not really match up well with what I would want, but, you know, again, that's what happens when you have the qualifying offer. Is like, you know, the guys that would be potentially interesting, you know, their market gets all messed up because n- unless it's for really top-end guys, no one wants to give up draft picks right now. They just don't. And if that's the case, then, you know, either one team's going to overpay for a guy that they're going to give him the contract they would have given to him if there was no draft pick comp- compensation, which a team shouldn't do, or, you know, they're going to be making, you know, next to nothing and they're, you know, are going to be not going to be deciding until February. And is that something the Braves really want to do that? They want to wait around until the very end of the offseason, wait some of these guys out till the demands come down and then hope that they're the team that, the, that those guys end up picking on a deal that they don't want to sign anyway. So, you know, it's tough because the, the way the offseason is now, a lot of these big major decisions aren't made until the very, very end of the off season. And that gets really risky for a team like Atlanta who has a lot of holes and they can't necessarily wait to fill them because they could find themselves looking at a roster that doesn't have doesn't have the guys that they need on it just because they waited too long.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to price tag on I mean, most of these guys. And until we know what the price tag is, I can't really give you right. a evaluation of what I think about those guys in a Braves uniform. Um, you know, you referenced nine figures for basically anyone on this list, short of Cole and Strasburg, who are going to are going to get a ton of money. I wouldn't pay nine figures to anybody on this list. Bumgarner, maybe Wheeler's the closest because of because of age. Um, Wheeler's I gonna get a lot of money,
0: but I know. can't remember who projected it, but someone projected. I think it was five years and one hundred twenty million dollars for Bumgarner. Yeah, Butler. that's
1: that's that, that's a quick no for me. Like, no, uh, I no mean,
0: chance. you know, and like some of the numbers they were throwing out for him, I was just like, I am not interested at all for that. Well,
1: month. I mean, and and this is going this kind of goes back to what we talked about during the season at the de- at the deadline. There is definitely a school of thought that treats Matt Bumgarner like he's still peak Bumgarner and he's just not that guy like there's the there's the he's whole, still really good no he's he's still a good pitcher that's why we're talking about him because he would be a very nice addition to the rotation but there is this um divide in the discussion around him where the pro Bumgarner side treats him as if a he's still the guy who he wasn't his prime and b as if you know I know he was fantastic in the playoffs and he's been that guy but that does not mean that he's suddenly worth twice the money now. Like, I understand he's a legendary playoff performer, and the whole rings argument, like, uh, I'm cool. I understand he was super valuable, and there is a lot to be said for that. But that doesn't mean that he gets paid 10 extra million dollars a year. Like, that's not a thing that's going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, he's, if you want to tell me he's the best uh, the best fit for a number of reasons, then I won't argue a ton with you. Like, I I think I'd rather have Wheeler, just because of age and mileage and all that stuff, maybe, maybe price, but listen, is good, and if you get him for a deal that makes sense for you, just do it. It's fine. But yeah, 5 5120 20 is, is not the deal that makes sense in any way, shape, or form. So, I don't know, man. We'll talk about this stuff as we, as we get more information on all of these guys. And by the way, I uh, in a rare contrast, I'm going to argue with you on, on Keiko. I think Keiko could come back. And the only reason mm-hmm. why I say that is that they like him quite a bit, and they always did. He fit in well. And I think he might have the same issue again this this winter. That's 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 honestly the biggest part of this, is that I'm not sure the deal that he wants is going to be out there. So maybe there's just a uh, comeback in the middle of the night to the Braves, you know, two for $35 million deal, or something like that. Like, that, that would not stun me at all. Particularly if the Braves don't have anybody else. And Keichel clearly has done this already once where he's willing to go deep into the process. So if you look up in February and you don't have your guy yet, Keiko's out there maybe there's a deal that gets done there I'm not that's not that's not any inside info other than the fact that I'm sure you've heard the same thing I have they, they like Keiko a lot I mean they in the, in the clubhouse they like him a lot he he's not he's not incredible like he's not a pitcher that's gonna change everything for you but there is value to having that like number two number three starter just be solid and be a guy who eats innings for you and just be around so it's a fallback it's not a primary in my opinion but uh I do think that's a
0: possibility. I, I, I will respectfully disagree. I That's not fine. We'll we're, 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 we're let disagree. Well, no. I, well, I think that this the amount of money he's going to want is going to not match, match up. It's not a matter of like the, yes or no. Do you want the Bra- Keiko on the Braves r- oh, roster? Yeah. It's the amount of money he's going to want versus what the Braves are going to be willing to pay him are not going to match up. And uh, because he is the guy that is willing to wait out, you know what I mean? Well, that's the reason why I'm
1: saying it might happen uh, this time, and like like you said, like I would be stunned if he and the Braves came to a deal in November or December. Like that would that would surprise me. It's really a situation where he is holding out. The offer is not there. He knows he likes it in Atlanta, and the Braves might open the wallet on another short-term deal. Like that. That's that's the way this happens. It's not likely at all. I'm, but I I think it's I think it's more than zero. I think it's a. You know, it's just exactly what I said. It's a he he can't get the money he wants, and he finally waves the white flag and comes back for, you know, maybe one year 20 or two years 35 or something like that. Some short term deal that is, you know, not number one priority for either side. But if the Braves strike out on guys they want, like Bumgarner, or if they don't get Wheeler or they don't get Otorizi or even Hamels, here's a question for you Who'd you rather have, Hamels or Keichel, for two years? Hamels. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that kind of, that's probably why, at least part of why you're saying what you're saying. Because, you know, Hamels is even older. I, sure. I, I do think that he, I, I'm not saying I disagree even, but if you like Hamels more than Keichel, that certainly it sort of informs the discussion about Keichel to well, some degree. Well,
0: yeah, and I also think that Hamels is more likely to sign at a reasonable rate than Keichel. Right? No, I agree. I agree. That. I, I, I think that Keichel is just more likely, I think that the. The Braves would offer Hamels and Keiko comparable packages. I think Hamels is far more likely to take it, and I think that Keikel would just is just going to cost more to keep. I just think, I just, I just I think that's just true.:
1: I agree with all of that. I do think that Hamels is more likely to be on the team than Keikel, but uh yeah, I think it's going to take a lot to get Keikel back, but if they if if uh, he' twisting in the wind, I would not close the door on it, but uh yeah. And listen, there could be a trade out there, like.
0: Oh yeah, I mean the, the the Red Sox and the Cubs are both floating around some interesting interesting names on the trade. Yeah, market. there are
1: some names out there. I mean, even Chris Archer could be out there again. I know he's a very polarizing yeah. guy, um, but maybe they like him. They've they, they've at least had discussions about him in the past. He's certainly not someone who was good last season, but someone who is still young and talented. So there's all kinds of names that could be out there. They do not have to sign a free agent starting pitcher. They could acquire that guy via other means. And Eric, they could. Just sign Julio Tehran
0: They they could indeed do that And you know depending on how much that is Then my range of responses Will go from sure that's fine to oh dear god What do we do
1: honestly uh, Okay this will be the last thing we say on this I think Unless you have something else but um, What is your one year limit On Julio Tehran
0: I would have not had Any objection I wouldn't have been super excited About it but I wouldn't have had any Objection to Exercising his option
1: would, would you rather, okay, so that, that was $12 million. Would, would you rather go into the season, okay, w- let's assume that the Braves have, pick a guy, uh, Cole Hamels as the fourth guy in the rotation, and they have four guys. Would you rather give Julio Tehran one year and $10 million, or would you rather go with Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson?
0: I would rather go with the younger guy in that situation.
1: That's kind that, of that's, yeah, that's what, what I thought you were going to say, but it's worth pointing. I mean, there's, it's basically the safety versus situation. upside department. Like, yeah, I that's w- a good point, too. <laughs> but, if it,
0: but, if it, but if it was flipped, where Tehran was a like, they'd already exercised his option, and it was choose Cole Hamels versus the young guys, I'd also probably pick the young guys, in fairness.
1: Well, and that's – and honestly, though, like, the reason they didn't pick up his option, among other things, is that I don't think he's going to get a lot more than he got uh, in the option. Like, maybe – Maybe a team will like Julio and give him two for 25 or something like that. And that's, that's more than I would want to give him. But if Julio is still floating out there and willing to sign for $10 million, the Braves could do worse. Like he's not exciting at all, but Julio Tehran for 10 million for one year. And one year deals are famously not, um, super risky. I mean, that's a lot of money, but it's not in the grand scheme of things. So if they could get him for a reasonable price, I am not a huge Tehran guy, but if they did that, I would not be upset. I just wouldn't. It's it's perfectly fine.
0: Again, all determinants. This off season is very similar to the last one, and last one was it felt very incomplete until the trade deadline in a lot of ways. But it's hard for me to evaluate any move in a vacuum, just because it matters so much what else is done elsewhere. I mean, like the Braves have needs right now at third base, especially if they can't, you know, get Donaldson back into the fold. Catcher, possibly an outfielder. Needs in the bullpen and in the starting rotation. Now, if you fill all those guys with also Rans, then the team is worse this next year than it is than it was last year. But if you you know have to downgrade some spots, but you end up getting a really like an impact player elsewhere and things like that, like you know again, that's kind of like the, the it's like the Marquez argument that we continually have is like it makes sense for the money if and only if they use that money that they're saving elsewhere to improve the roster. Now we. Had some evidence that they were willing to at least try to do that because they signed Donaldson when they did last year. But you know, in this particular case, you know, you have Marquez's option being exercised, but you also have Tehr- Tehran's option being declined, which makes you wonder: Do they have real plans for that chunk of money? You know, between Donaldson's money as well as Tehran's money to make a move elsewhere that would make you really excited and go, okay, this makes total sense to me as to why you would do this from a roster construction perspective. But if, again, if you just end up signing, you know, if it's like Mike Moustakis and then, you know, a, like a couple number five starters, then this team is not favored to win the division next year. It's no, just I not. mean,
1: If you're, if your whole off season is Mike Moustakis and Julio Tehran, uh, which that is basically do what it. that is. That's, that's not going to inspire anybody. So I'm with you a hundred percent.
0: And like Alex Avila is your catcher. Yeah. Platoon. I
1: mean, whatever. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, platoon catcher X. So he, he fits that. And, and that's not a, you know, uh, I'm not predicting that, but that is not a scenario that I think is impossible. I think the Braves might, might end up doing that. Like it's not a huge likelihood, but they might have a boring off season that everybody hates. That is certainly in play. Uh, it may, it may not be Julio. It might be Mustakis and Odorizzi for a year or something, or something like that. I mean, it may not be like Julio is as boring as possible. So that's it's kind of, <laughs> right. It's kind of plaguing the discussion to some degree. But um, honestly, I mean, Julio is probably a top ten or twelve starting pitcher that's available. So it's not like he's one of the worst candidates imaginable. Like if they did that with Josh Tomlin, if they signed Josh Tomlin to start to start, that would be bad. But you know, I'm trying to remove my. I've, you know, the fact that I've seen Julio pitch his entire career, objectively, he is one of the 10 or 12 best starting pitchers on the market this year. So, if they signed that, him... That, that, that tells
0: you a lot about the starting pitching market, though. But, I
1: mean, no, top. but you say that. I mean, I know we are very... At least I'll speak for myself. I am not a huge Julio guy, but when you combine the fact that he's going to be 29 and he throws 180 innings every year and he's never been... Like he's he's basically been bad, like flat out bad, for like three months in his entire career. Like, he's been not spectacular since 2015. But if you in the grand scheme of things, if you took even the last four seasons of Julio Tehran, which is like a ERA about four, that's right. a number four starter and a decent one for basically any team. Like that's not it, it's not it's not good, but it's someone who it's worth ten million dollars
0: a year. Well, th- th- this is true. Now, th- for for that amount of money, absolutely. But I, 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 it's hard for me to divorce. Oh, I know. Julio I had, know. Julio's living on the knife's edge of his peripherals, and look, he might just be that guy. He's just the guy that constantly always beats his peripherals, and you know, has these like rates of like you know strand rates and you know luck on balls in play that like should be unsustainable, but just has been anyway. But it's hard for me to divorce the fact that as he gets older and his stuff has already started to diminish, I mean, like you can call him 29, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of mileage miles on that 29 and they've looked it, you know what I mean? Like, you know, when no, I'm, I'm with you, I had a
1: squint to even do what I just did and try to sell it a little bit because you, you know how I feel about Julio, it's well documented. I'm sure people are laughing about me being the Julio defender right now on the podcast, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's not, it's not exciting. And if you give him more than a year, like I would be furious, but
0: as a backup plan, they could do worse. Sure. Oh, no. They, they definitely could do worse. T- like, again, it's, it d- that doesn't seem like a crazy notion to me. No. Nope. But I would be the, – there are multiple ways signing him back could be very puzzling, mostly in terms of numbers of years and in dollars. And beyond that, like, having him back is not the problem. Like, They're not they going to give him
1: not- – <laughs> that's the thing about Julio. They're not going to give Julio the bad deal because they would have just picked up his option. Like, right. they, they know – there's no real potential of giving Julio a bad contract. I don't think, because they, they could have just picked up the option. I mean, I guess if you're just back to the but...
0: What if they offer him a two- or a three-year deal, but I it's mean, like for a, for a lower annual rate than If it's what like it's two years
1: over. and 16 million, like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I don't care. That's fine. I mean, worst comes to worst, you can probably get off it next year. You know, if it's three years, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure how you get there, unless it's like a massive discount annually. Like, wh- why would he take a three-year deal? Because there's no way they're going to give him three years in real money. Like, that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, we're down the Julio rabbit hole, but if you sign him, I hope it's to be the fifth starter, not the fourth starter. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that absolutely makes
1: sense. That's probably the shortest way I can put that, and you definitely want to aim higher. I am not advocating for Julio as plan A, B, or C. Uh, he's plan E, probably, for me. Um, all Twitter, the Twitter, you come, know what to do. All the, what guys do? We talk, yeah, all the guys we talked about before are better pitchers, better investments. Uh, Bumgarner, Wheeler, Odorizzi, Hamels, they're all better than Julio. Uh, Keichel's better than Julio, for instance. All those guys are better than Julio, but it could happen. So there you go. Good. Yeah, uh, Eric, any final thoughts on starting pitching? I mean, we will talk about these guys uh, more, I'm sure, because the next several months will be, you know, this sort of, <laughs> this rough setup, not, not so much looking at, uh, in the past as much as we did today, but we have some holes to fill on this podcast. So we'll be talking about them again, but any, any final thoughts other than you're just blind love for Mike Sirocco?
0: Uh I mean, my, my love for Mike Soroka knows no bounds. Uh, I think he's going to be incredibly good next year as well. Um, you know, obviously borrowing you know his health and all that good stuff as with any pitcher really. Um, beyond that, I am a little worried that the group next year could be on the whole slightly worse. Uh, in which case then they need to make some real adjustments, particularly with' their, some of their position needs because otherwise I, I, I worry a little bit that this team could end up being worse next year than last year. And that's that'd be very disappointing coming off what was a very successful season. I mean, uh, and, it wouldn't, and it, it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be hard to be worse just because they were so good last year. That's the problem I have. Is like you, you had you had Josh Donaldson come back and be so good, and then you have these holes in your rotation now that are seemingly hard to fill, particularly with the the nuances of this market that were the the, the guys who. You might want to try to get on reasonable deals, have qualifying offers attached, which kind of people or like teams are just averse to to dealing with at all. And then the other guys are really kind of risky or older guys. It I could see a situation where the rotation isn't necessarily on the whole a strength for the team. And that becomes problematic when your options elsewhere become really sketchy too.
1: Yeah. Uh you know, ninety-seven wins is uh that could that, that never could certainly come down. That would not be a huge yeah. surprise. Um but yeah, we'll we'll know much more, and when we see what they do with the roster. But even even internally, like, um, this is going to be blasphemy, Eric. But would would you would you be surprised if Mike Soroka wasn't as good in twenty twenty as it was in twenty
0: nineteen? I would not be. I would be surprised, and I choose that. I, I choose to have faith in that regard. But that, that's fine. Yeah. I, 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 but but I also fully understand that that is not a reasonable take. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm setting you up to be. It's kind of funny. I'm setting you up on purpose to be amusing. But I'm. He he could be you know five percent worse next year and still be awesome, but there's guys up and down the roster even. But I think Soroka is not a regression candidate necessarily. Like he, but he was he was worth four wins. Like is he going to average four wins his entire I, I will, career?
0: I will. I will not hear the slander, Bradley. I'm doing.
1: Not. I'm doing it so you so you don't have to. You can you can be the guy who tells me I'm stupid. I understand this. I'm saying, you know, that's one spot where. It is entirely possible, and I I think maybe even slightly likely that he's not quite as good. And again, that could be three point eight wins instead of four. Like I'm not if saying he's gonna be bad. We
0: we, we we can't be friends anymore, Brad. I I'm understand. This, this, sure. is I
1: wanted, this is why I want this is why I want to end on this so we could just break up casually at the end of the podcast. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. So Mike Mike's work is great, and uh, to bring things full circle, he is the guy that uh, I trust the most. So. To be positive, at the end of the podcast, he's the guy that I trust the most for next season on the rotation. So, not not a hot take, but I I'll, like Mike Soroka. I'll, quite I'll a bit. allow it. <laughs> I like Mike Soroka quite a bit, not as much as Eric because that's impossible. But uh, who's my who, who's my Mike Soroka? I don't even, I'm not sure I have one of those guys.
0: I, uh, I mean, know. if, if J, I mean if Jason Hayward were still on the team, yeah, he would
1: he would have probably been it. But uh, R.I.P. Um, I gotta find a guy that's my guy. Like it was kind of Tukey, I guess, but it was really Carlos's guy that I stole. So. I don't really have a guy.
0: I mean, you can just you know you can just sit on Acuna as a pretty safe bet. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
1: I could just be I could be the Ronald Acuna guy. Is that, is that a corner <laughs> that's available? The,
0: the, the Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman guy. You know? Yeah, can it's, I can I be the Ronald Acuna guy? That'd be, there that'd be you good. Go. I can't you be know. the
1: Ozzy Albies guy for obvious reasons on this podcast. I can't. I can't. You won't. You won't let me. You won't, you won't let me do that. Um, but,
0: no. uh, <laughs> I, I, I That that was that's still stargled me.
1: Wait, I'm the Adam Duval guy. I'll take that, Adam Duval. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's my guy. Come back, Adam Duval. We'll spend more time. That's, that's a good uh, bridge to next week's podcast where we're going to spend some time in the lineup. And unless something crazy happens, we'll spend some time in the lineup next week. Uh, Eric, please plug yourself and the site of which you are a uh, big wig and I am not. So please plug everything we have going on at TalkingChop.com.
0: Sure. Uh, make sure you're looking at Talking Chop. Uh, we're finishing up the player reviews right now. Uh, I think just a few stragglers left. We're also going to be previewing the uh, various positions of free agency. I already did the third base pre- uh, preview. Where I, you know, highlighted some of the options that were potentially available. Uh, I know that, that catcher and bullpen and starting pitcher and a couple others are going to be rolling out here in the next week or two. So that's kind of going to be the big stuff for us right now. Is this kind of this weird window between the, you know, the end of the season and then the winter meetings. Um, there's also going to be content coming out about the Rule Five Draft and, you know, the guys that are going to be put into that, as well as just kind of previewing what we could expect to see as the hot stove season kind of continues to ramp up. And then towards the end of the year is when we start thinking about doing our prospect list again. Once we kind of know who's actually going to be in the system, or at the very least we have a reasonable expectation as to who's going to be around. Uh, Cause we kind of know what trades have or have not happened um, by then. Usually uh, obviously this last couple of off seasons make that a little trickier. Um, so just make sure you keep an eye out for that stuff. Make sure you're listening for the podcast uh, as well. Each week you get to listen to Brad uh, rant and rave about his favorite things about the Atlanta Bears baseball club. Uh, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast provider purveyor, purveyor really appreciate all the support on the podcast. It's continued something that's continued to grow as a podcast. Uh, I wish that road to Atlanta has continued to be more regular, but the combination of just schedules between my personal schedule with my day job, uh, as well as just the schedules of the other guys, you know, we have guys traveling and, you know, having other jobs and things like that. And, you know, various employment responsibilities have made that a lot trickier, but it will be back. I promise. It just have to kind of get everyone, you know, re- rein back in once they've kind of gotten caught back up on life after a long season. Um, and make sure you can follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K or you make sure you follow Brad as well at BT Roland, And he likes hearing your trade proposals, <laughs> why you, uh, every, you're, th- you're asking him his thoughts on Ozzy Alleyes at Shortstop, all that stuff. He loves getting those tweets, especially when he likes, you know, linking them to me and, you know, yelling at me for ha- ruining his mentions.
1: That is silver slugging, uh, sl- silver sl- sl- silver slugger winning second baseman Ozzy Obbies. Uh But what have you got?
0: But what have you gotten at a short, Brad?
1: Um, who won at short? I didn't even look. Actually, what do you got at short? Maybe you would have. I can't. I'm trying to make who, <laughs> who's the who's the who's uh, man. I'm like I'm blanking on who won at shorts. This is this is good radio. But I'm looking this up now. I refuse to not look this up. <laughs> <laughs> right now on the podcast, as we can, we'll never end this podcast. Shortstop in the National League winner is Trevor Story. I think he probably would have won. Story had 35 homers, so he probably would have still won. Right. But uh, that was Coursefield, so he, he should have a bit of a attacks there. I think Ozzy would have had a chance at shortstop.
0: There you go. See? He,
1: he would have been better at hitting than Nancy Swanson, but I'm Ching.
0: Oh. <laughs> we ended that on the right note
1: tell me I'm wrong just just tell me I'm wrong Eric no no you're not thank you Eric I appreciate you uh, alright everybody thank you for listening to this podcast please follow Eric please follow myself if you like Atlanta Hawks basketball and follow the site Talking Chop and we'll see everybody next week <laughs>